Psalm 46 reads, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give away and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. Go down to number six. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Great God, we're here to be uplifted in spirit and in truth. And yes, it is about us sometimes, but Lord, we pray that it would be about you today, that we would worship you in spirit and in truth because you are worthy of our worship, our adoration, our posture in spirit should be on our face before you, recognizing that you are the all-powerful, the creator. Help us to concentrate. Help us to, indeed, focus on you in this next while. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a look at uh, Genesis 45 either in your hard copy or your devices. Genesis 45. Starting from verse 1, going to verse 11, inclusive. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before his attendants and cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. After, when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one who you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here, because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will be not plowing and reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and near me, you, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you here. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. 
May the Lord add his blessings to the reading of his word. Let's, uh, let's pray. Thank you, God, for your word. Pray that uh, we would let it soak in and understand what you would want us to know from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Gentlemen, if you would come forth and let's offer the Lord, let's worship the Lord in our, with our tithes and offerings today. And not only is it a, a way of maintaining God's work here, but it's a way of being blessed as well. So let's bow again for a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for the stuff you give us. Thank you for putting us in Canada that we can be comfortable. Lord, grant to us an understanding of what it means to give and give sacrificially, that we would be blessed and that that which you give, that we give would be a blessing to those around, not just in a very earthly way, but in a, an everlasting, forever way. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I, I hope that many of you are on this journey of reading the Bible for life. If you're not, it's not too late to start. And uh, this week we read through the book of Genesis. The next two weeks we'll be journeying through Job. And uh, I don't know about you, but I discovered or rediscovered some things that I either hadn't known or forgotten or whatever uh, as I went through the reading this week. But we want to take a look at the life of Joseph this morning and what lessons there are for us in that. So if you would take your Bibles, please, or take your scriptures in whatever format they are and turn with me to Genesis chapter 37 for now, please. I know that, that those of you that are on this program would have read that, this story this week and, and we're going to read it again because um, I firmly subscribe to the, to the principle that's enunciated in Psalm 119 that says, the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. So the things that I say aren't as important as the things that God says in his word. Genesis 37, we're going to read from verse 12 through to the end of the chapter. It's a lengthy passage, but we need to read it. Um, you just, in the beginning of the chapter, Joseph told the brothers his dream. And um, verse 11 says his brothers were jealous of him. Verse 12, now his brothers had gone to graze their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, as you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I am going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. And by the way, he's 17 years old now. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring back word to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. Hebron is in the southern part of Israel and Shechem is a little bit further north. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. 
But when they saw him in the distance and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes a dreamer, they said to each other. Come, now let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben, who was the oldest, heard this, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. Throw him into the cistern here in the desert, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. As they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm, and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes. He went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't there. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, and dipped the robe in the blood. They took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. He recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph surely has been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, in mourning will I go down to the grave to, to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. I'm sure that many of you are aware of the trials and tribulations of Air Asia Flight 8501. That's the flight that disappeared the other day from, or a couple of weeks ago from Asia to on its way to Singapore, or from Indonesia rather, on its way to Singapore. And now they're thinking that there was some, they, they found the wreckage and they found many of the, of the passengers. They're still not quite sure what happened. Apparently the plane climbed, the, the controllers or the pilots rather, asked for clearance to fly higher than they were flying because of weather. They were denied that, and a little bit later when the controllers, because of traffic, they couldn't uh, move at that time. And so a little while later is when the controllers got back to them, they disappeared. But they've discovered now that the plane, for some reason, uh, and the latter part of its flight, climbed at a phenomenal rate, something like 6,000 feet a minute. An aircraft of that size would normally climb at about 1,400 or, or 1,200 feet a minute. 6,000 feet a minute is something that a jet fighter would do. And so this aircraft, uh, and then it lost control and it wound up in the sea. And maybe Joseph felt like the people on that airplane. They were flying along and life was under control. And then all of a sudden something catastrophic happened, whether it was human error or whether it was mechanical error. 
something happened and that airplane lost control. And it happens to us once in a while. We're going through life, everything's going good, and then suddenly life seems to spin out of control either. Well, sometimes it's sudden, sometimes it comes on gradually. But we wonder, like, how do we, how do we deal with that? What, you know, where's God's will in all of this? Isn't God supposed to be looking after me? When, when my life spins out of control, how do I deal with that? And there are a couple of basic principles that I think we need to start with before we even start asking those kinds of questions. And, and, and we see those principles both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and here's where we're going to start. So just hang on to the story in Genesis, and, and we're going to come back to the story, but please turn with me to Psalm 139, and then we're going to look at a couple of passages in Matthew. See, when, when, life's, when, when life spins out of control, it seems like to us that life spins out of control and that we are the ones who have lost control. But the reality is that when our lives seemingly spin out of control, there is still someone who is in control, and that is God Almighty. Psalm 139, one of my very favorite passages of Scripture. Uh, and to some people, this is really disconcerting. To me, it's extremely comforting. Verse 2, um, you know when I sit and when I rise. God is there. He knows the things that I do. He knows about my circumstances. You perceive my thoughts from afar. God knows what's going on inside my head. That's scary, but it's good. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. This God who sits high and throned above the universe is familiar with all my ways. He knows when I go out. He knows what my back. I had a couple of really interesting weeks. Uh, and like I said the last week, I found more than a half-decent chiropractor. I found a couple of really good ones. So, but, but I spent a good part of the last two weeks at home not being able to move. My back was, God knows about that kind of stuff. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in. Behind and before you have laid your hand upon me. Verse 7, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. Even when I was being conceived in my mother's womb, God was there. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. God has a book, a book about you. And it's got all the days of your life in that book. And on January 25th, 2015, 
at 11.30 in the morning, your book says that you would be here at Emmanuel Baptist Church. God knows. I read a book this past week about a Mennonite family that, that um, and much about the migrations of the Mennonites, but anyway, their family uh, wound up settling in the Lacrete area in Alberta, and, and the book's about that thick. It's a very interesting read. And, and, and we read through Joseph's life and, and Jacob's life in Genesis, and it's just, just a few pages, but the book I read was about that thick, and not every detail is there, but God has a book about your life, and it's probably a lot thicker than that. All the days ordained for me were written in our, your book before one of them came to be. Jesus said in the New Testament, don't worry. Don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to wear and, and where you're going to live because your heavenly Father knows that you need these things and he will look after you. In Matthew chapter 10, uh, Jesus is talking about hair and sparrows and he said, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. When I drove truck, I don't know how many little critters I ran over. Mice and birds and grouse and, and ptarmigans and bears. And, and God knows it all. Not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. And even the very hairs on your head are all numbered. I said to someone this week, the rate that I'm losing hair, I'm wearing these fleece sweaters and vests because I've been cold ever since. My, my heart pooched on me about a year and a half ago, but, but, but there's hair all over them. At the rate I'm losing hair, I'm going to be bald before summer. But God knows about that stuff. And, and so God, even when my life spins out of control, there... God is still in control. There is still someone. It's seemingly out of my control, but God is in control. Now think back about Joseph. He was 17 years old when this happened. So Joseph, in his youthful arrogance and ignorance, I, I don't know, how dumb was he to, to tell those dreams to his brothers? You know? Really? I mean, like, like when, you, when you know something like that, are you better off keeping that to yourself or should you just spout it out and say, guess what? You know, his brothers didn't like him in the first place because he was Papa's favorite. But how much did Joseph know about God? Like, like, you just, like, like, where did they get their instruction? Like, they had no Bibles, they had no churches, they had no pastors, they had no Bible schools, they, they had sweet zip. And how much did Joseph know about God? So in his ignorance and in his arrogance, he tells his brothers about his dream. Was he dumb to talk? I don't know. Where did he get the dreams? Well, obviously God gave them to him. So what should he have done with his dreams? Would it have been better for him to keep quiet? Was it God's will for him to do the wrong thing and get him into trouble? Or did he do the wrong thing? You know, maybe it was that the way God was designing things so that Joseph would, when he knew that Joseph couldn't keep his mouth shut, so he gave him those dreams so that Joseph would get into trouble. See, because God had a plan. And for 17-year-old Joseph, life spins out of control right about then. 
His brother said, let's kill him. Well, maybe that's a little extreme. So let's just huck him in one of these, these cisterns, one of these water storage places, and, and, and okay, let's keep him there for now until we come up with something better. And all of a sudden, oh, here's opportunity. Uh, here's some, some guys come along. Let's, let's sell him. So they sold him. And one day, Joseph, his daddy's favorite, walking around in his richly ornamented robe. And the next day, he's off to Egypt to be sold to this Potiphar. His brothers have sold him. His life, all of a sudden, spins out of control. But, question. So, you know the rest of the story, how Potiphar's wife wanted him to sleep with her, and, and, and he said no, and he wound up in jail, wrongly accused because of this thing. But, but think about this. How did an arrogant young pup, like Joseph, at 17 years old, how did he get from this dumb young pup to a young man who resisted a tempting woman and then wound up in jail and became a valued and responsible man? Where did he get the wisdom to interpret dreams? I don't know. But obviously his life wasn't as out of control as he thought it was. And what about us? God made us with our looks, our likes, our abilities, our intellect, our strengths, our weaknesses, our sensitivities, our plans and ambitions. We've all been through circumstances, the homes we've grown up in, families we've had, work we've been to, schools, uh, churches, our relationship with God. Uh, and so I ask myself sometimes the question, like, why did God save me? Why did God save this little Dutch boy and bring him to Canada and, and make him a pastor in Saskatchewan? I don't know. Why did God do that? What plans does God have for me now? How do I know if I'm making the right decisions? How do I find out? What if I make the wrong choices? And you know, sometimes we're so concerned about finding God's will and that we're not doing God's will. Um, sometimes I think we've got it backwards. Do you realize that sometimes, think about this, sometimes God's will finds us rather than us finding God's will? Does that make sense? Sometimes God's will finds us rather than us finding God's will. I don't think Joseph was looking for God's will at that point, but God's will sure found him, didn't it? You know, and, and how did a little Dutch boy who was born in Holland who moved to British Columbia with his parents wind up with this little Mennonite girl who was born on a farm at Blue Jay and, and how, did, how did God put that together? Was, did God have his hand on her life and my life and brought us together from half a world apart? Yes, he did. Now, when it came time to marry, I didn't dare ask God whether I should or not because what if he said no? So I, I went ahead anyway and it turned out good. But sometimes God's will finds us. You see... Remember the verse that we had on the screen at the beginning of the service? All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Hey, God, God has a plan. And God had a plan for Joseph. And God has a plan for us. And the favoritism, you know, Joseph being the favorite son of the favorite wife. Yeah, that was part of God's plan. The dream was part of God's plan. The blabbing to his brothers was part of God's plan. 
The getting sold into Egypt was part of God's plan. Why? Joseph was 30 years old when he got pulled out of prison. So for 13 years, for 13 years, almost 13 years, I have no idea how long he worked before, before Potiphar's wife falsely accused him. But when Joseph meets his brothers, he says these words in Genesis 45, verse 5 and verse 7. He says, Do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Joseph is now 32 years old because they're, or 39 years old because they're two years into the famine. And somewhere along the line, Joseph has learned that God had a plan for me. Even when my life spun out of control, God had a plan for me. Verse 7 says, But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. God had a plan. God was at work. When his life spun out of control, there was someone who was in total control. Genesis 50, verse 20. He said to his brothers, you intended to harm me. His brothers are now sucking up to him because their dad's dead and they figure Joseph, okay, now dad's gone. Joseph's really going to get even with us. But, so they're sucking up to Joseph and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. You see, we get... We, we get living in our own little world and we ask the questions, why me? I don't deserve this. Well, maybe it's not about you. The story, the, the, what Joanne said this morning about Abraham, didn't realize that when God asked him to sacrifice his son, you see, Abraham, Abraham just, just lived in his little world <clears throat> with his son. His one and only son. And God says, go sacrifice him. And Abram, okay, God. And here we are 4,000 years later. Abram didn't realize that it was a foreshadowing of the perfect lamb who was to come, that God gave his one and only son. He didn't know any of that. And Joseph didn't know any of this either. And it wasn't just about Joseph. It was about his family. It was about saving the Egyptians. It was about the nation of Israel. It was about all the nations that Israel was going to displace when they came down the road. It was about the Messiah who was to come. It was about the nation of Israel that was in existence. Do you realize if Joseph hadn't done any of this, we wouldn't have Israel today? There wouldn't be a Messiah. There wouldn't be uh, an end time that we could look forward to, the Lord Jesus coming back. And, and it wasn't just about Joseph, but how easy is it for Joseph to sit in a situation where he's in jail, unjustly accused of trying to rape a woman, and to say, it's all about me, and to go on this pity party and say, I didn't do anything wrong, I didn't deserve this, I deserve better. And so Joseph got written up in a book. In the Bible, you and I don't get books written about us. Maybe some of you will, but I don't think I will. Probably all that I'm going to get is, is the half page that's on the back of the funeral folder, you know. And, and maybe somebody will write up a page or two and say some nice things about me. By the way, guys, when you do, don't just talk about my motorcycles, but talk about stuff like church, you know, that'd be nice. But... <clears throat> 
But you know, our lives impact so many people. And it's not just about us. It's about the people around us. And yes, God, there are, are, are commands that God gives in Scripture that we are to obey. And there are things, that, there are times that God guides and directs us, and He has done so very specifically in my life in days past. Joanne was, was guided today to share this song. She phoned me up last night and says, hey, I, I need to share this song on Sunday morning. Fine, the Holy Spirit is prompting us. And there are times that we need to obey excuse me, the prompting of the Holy Spirit. But over top of all this, God still has, when life spins out of control, there is still someone who is in total control. You and I may lose control. You and I may feel like our lives are totally spun out of control. And sometime, for us, you may feel that your life is out of control. And years later, you have this aha moment. Where you say, now I know why this happened to me. I can see why this was good for me. I can see where I needed to go through this. You may get that. We don't always. Or maybe your, your, your progeny, your, your, the generations that come after you will have the aha moment and say, okay, I know why grandpa had to go through all this stuff. Because we learned lessons from it. Or maybe you'll never know. But God knows there is still someone who is in total control, and we call this thing his sovereignty. Now, I don't like God's sovereignty sometimes. I mean, I will never forget the prayer that Lindsay Anderson prayed for me when we were in the office with the leadership team of this church before I went for my heart surgery, and they anointed me and laid hands on me and prayed over me. And I was doing a, a series on the book of Job, which is really big on the sovereignty of God. And Lindsay laid hands on me and prayed for me and said, Lord, Pastor Bill has been talking about the sovereignty of God. Now it's time for him to learn some of that. And so, you know, like, like thank you, Lindsay. That was, you know. But it's there. See, sometimes we're asked to find and to do the will of God. When Joseph was tempted by his master's wife, he said, How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And when he obeyed God, when he found God's will and he walked with it, there were consequences. But somewhere along the line, you and I need to make peace with this thing called the sovereignty of God. And the basic principle is that means that God is in control. Even when my life seems to spin out of control, God is still in control and there comes a time where I need to accept that, where you and I need to accept that. It doesn't mean that I have to pretend that I'm a rock and let the river of life flow around me, but it does mean that I can live peacefully in the midst of turbulence. But there are questions that I ask myself. Do I fight adversity or do I give up? Do I demand healing or do I accept God's hand? Do I resist evil or do I become a doormat? Do I activate for change or become apathetic? Am I doomed to God's straitjacket, or is there wiggle room for me to be an individual? I don't think I need to resign to, to become uh, a stoic, someone who says, oh, well, you know, life's going to be whatever it's going to be. I don't need to resign to that, but I still need to live life with an open hand. Remember Abram? God said to him, Abram, get up from the place you are, leave your comfortable life, and go to the place that I will show you. There was lots of room for him to make his own decisions and to make his own mistake. And my responsibility 
and your responsibility is to live our lives to the best of our ability for the one who paid the price for me. My selfishness and my sinfulness are always going to get in the way of that because I'm a human being. But there's a principle here. Some more biblical principles. Romans 8 verse 28 says what? God causes all things, God work, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God always has a plan. He is always in control. Now, the plan is not to make you healthy and happy for the rest of the life. The plan is this, Romans 8, verse 29. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son. God is at work to turn you and I into representations of Jesus Christ. And in order for that to happen, he has to work out his will in our lives. And you and I need to give him the room to do that. And to say to him, Lord, I don't understand what's happening. I don't particularly like what is happening. I don't particularly like the way you are going about things. And if you could change it, I would really appreciate it if you could change it. Jesus said, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but nevertheless your will and not mine be done. And so even when my life spins out of control, there is someone who is still in control. I can fight it or I can yield to it. But I think I can say with the person who wrote that song, when peace like a river attendeth my way, yeah, it is well with my soul. But even when life spins out of control, Lord, it is well with my soul because I know that you have a plan and a purpose. And that plan and a purpose involves me and I'm okay with that, so Lord, whatever, it's all good. I accept it from your hand, whatever you choose to bring into my life. Let's pray together. Father, it's one thing to talk about the sovereignty of God from a theoretical perspective. It's an entirely different thing to live in that reality. Lord, even if we fight it, you're still in control, so what's the point of fighting? Father, thank you for the example of Joseph. We recognize it wasn't just about him, it wasn't just about Abram. And Lord, we recognize that you are the one who is totally in control, and before a day comes to be, you've already have it written down in your book. And so, Lord, thank you for your intimate knowledge of us, the hairs on our head. A little bird who dies, you said you know much more about us than you do about those little birds. So, Father, help us to accept whatever comes from your hand, to walk in your will, to hold our hands open, and to allow you to conform us to the likeness of the Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask it in his name. Amen.